0: the second chapter of Hilchus Tein Vinitin the laws of a plaintiff and defendant this chapter contains ten halachas and deals primarily with someone who is suspect of being dishonest in taking an oath and therefore does not have to take the oath Perek Sheni the second chapter halacha Aleph Kolach anyone suspected of taking a false oath Heses we do not force him to take an oath, whether it is an oath of Torah decree, one by rabbinic decree, or a shwasness to pure rabbinic oath. Here, apparently, by Shavu and Medivrayim, the Rambam is referring to the type of oath he dis- uh, described in the previous Patek, that it's Kein Shalteta, similar to a Torah oath, and that the one that swears must hold a sacred object, such as a Torah scroll. But nevertheless, it's only by rabbinic decree. Whether it's that sort of oath or a pure rabbinic oath, we do not have such a person swear if they are sus- suspect regarding their oath. And even if the plaintiff wants him to take the oath that he believes him, nevertheless we do not listen to him. We do not trust the, the plaintiff, and we do not allow such a defendant to swear. Now, how can we tell if a person is choshevad ala or not? Allah base. Whether a person once took a false oath in a Shuvu an oath of expression, such as the person swore to do something or not to do something, or he swore that in the past he did something or did not do something, and, he, and his oath was a false one. Or an oath regarding testimony, that someone was called as a witness to a certain event, and he swears that he did not see anything, he did not witness anything, when in reality we find out that he did. Or a person that took a false oath regarding an object which was entrusted to him or a false oath for example a person swears on a piece of wood that it is a stone or something of the sort if a certain took a uh, person took any one of these oaths had a he is in the category of someone who is suspect for an oath the king called Apostle La'edus Mishuma Veda, And so too, a person who was invalid as a, as a witness because of some transgression he did. whether it's something which invalidates him by Torah law from being a witness, for example, someone that takes or gives interest, and someone that consumes nevela, non-kosher meat, and thieves, nicial di or regardless of whether it's only a rabbinically or ordained invalidating feature for example a person that rolls dice a gambler a person that makes pigeons fly there are two explanations of this given in the Gemara one is that the person makes pigeons fly and to pick up other people's pigeons and have these pigeons follow them back to their owner and this way the person this ends up stealing other people's pigeons that is a bird racer that they made these birds race each other and would gamble as to who would be the winner of the race. In any of these cases, whether it's by Torah law or rabbinic law that they're invalid as witnesses, such a person is suspect regarding his oath and is not allowed to take an oath. A person only becomes suspect regarding the oath when witnesses come and testify that he transgressed a certain sin, the sin that he is claiming that invalidates him as a witness. But a person who himself admits that he is suspect regarding the oath because he transgressed a certain... A certain sin, even though we, are, we do worry about this claim of His, and therefore did not make Him a witness to begin with, Nevertheless, should it occur that he must take an oath then we apply the oath to him. Because we tell him, if you tell the truth, he take an oath. And just because you did such a sin doesn't mean that it's for, it forbidden for you to take a true oath. You're allowed to take a true oath. I, you did a sin. You say you, you, you did a sin that has nothing to do with your oath. Take a... Take a a a true oath and if you're lying so then admit to the claim against you admit to the plaintiff and pay the money that's all why don't we say the same thing with anybody that is suspect after all we can say that just because they did an Aveda just because they sinned that doesn't mean they can't take a true oath so the Rabbi says no a person that is suspect and we have witnesses for the act he did we do not believe him to take such an oath when we do not have witnesses, it's just him himself. Then we trust him to take an oath. That even though he says he did the evader, we say, okay, if you say you did it, you can still take a true oath. However, if we have witnesses knowing that the person did such a transgression, we wouldn't trust him to take an oath himself. Allah in this, and the next few halachas, the Raman describes what exactly to do if the party that should take an oath is suspected to take a false oath. And we'll differentiate between the three categories of oaths. We have the highest quality of oath, the most severe, a shvua min hatera, a shvua di'araisa, that by biblical decree. Then we have on the other extreme, the shvua hasas, the pure rabbinic oath, and in the intermediate category, a shvua min di'araisa, similar to a Torah oath, but only by rabbinic decree. The is an enactment of the sages, that anyone that is required to take a Torah oath to deny a definite claim against him, should he be suspect of taking an oath, and therefore cannot deny this claim against him. The plaintiff is allowed to take a rabbinic oath and collect everything that he claimed. That since the defendant cannot swear, our sages enacted that in this case, the plaintiff should take the oath and thereafter collect. Let's say both the plaintiff and defendant are suspect. So the oath goes back to the one who originally was required to take it, who is the defendant. He is required to take the oath and he is suspect. Uh, Over here we cannot use our rabbinic enactment to reverse it to the plaintiff since the plaintiff himself is suspect. And since he is unable to take the oath, he must pay. As the general principle is, as we have now, and we'll have other times in Hilchas Teyem Vinitin, the principle is if somebody is required to take an oath and for whatever reason is unable to do so, they must pay since they cannot swear. Let's say the one that was suspect of taking the oath and would have to take the oath is a guardian. But he claims that the object entrusted to him was lost or stolen, and in such a case he would have to take an oath. However, in this case he is suspect of taking a false oath. Of the of the and in this case it is impossible for the plaintiff to take an oath and, and collect because he is not making a definite claim that the defendant himself over here ate the thing up. He doesn't know. That, the Torah claims that it's, the guardian says that it was lost or stolen. He is required to take an oath. And the plaintiff cannot make him take an oath that it's not true. He doesn't know whether it's true or not. If the owner, the original owner of this object, makes the following claim, that in front of me, he utilized for his own purpose this object, or he sinned against it, in other words, he did not guard it properly, in these cases, In this case, the plaintiff is allowed to take this rabbinic oath and thereafter collect the object. Since the reason that a plaintiff cannot take an oath in the case of a guardian is not because there's a special law by guardians, it's because he doesn't know what happened, and he cannot take an oath if he doesn't know what happened. Therefore, in a case where he does know what happened, he is allowed to take the oath. And in this case, our sage's enactment applies as well. Let's say that the person suspected over here only is required to take a rabbinic oath. So it depends what type of rabbinic oath it is. If it's this intermediate type of rabbinic oath, that when someone must, is going to collect money, and must do so only after taking an oath, he is required to take a rabbinic oath. But one cane shall tell holding a Torah scroll, or a tefillin, or whatnot. In this case, he is unable to swear and collect his money. So what do we do? Allah connect the We make the defendant who he is opposing take a rabbinic oath and is thereafter exempt. And so too a person who harms his own document as the case is described, as a lender who has a document that he's owed a certain amount of money and he himself says that the document is incorrect because some of the money has already been paid back and therefore I cannot claim the entire amount which is in this document. Should he not have said such a thing, he would be able to collect using this document. Since he is himself weak in the document, he can collect the remaining part which he says he is still owed only after himself taking a shavuah. And so to any similar case, that he was suspected of taking an oath, and, and the lender claims that he paid it off, he tells the lender that you should take an oath to deny my claim that I paid it off. In such a case, that the borrower takes a rabbinic oath and is thereafter exempt from having to pay anything remaining on this document. That this is equivalent to the paradigm we gave at the beginning of the lacha. that if somebody is one of the nishwayim v'naitlin who will collect after taking this oath, and is unable to take the oath since he is suspected of lying, then we have the defendant take the oath, and thereafter exempt himself. Halachavav. And this halacha, the Raman will deal with another type of oath from the intermediate carry, category of rabbinic oaths, which are a take the similar to Torah oaths. And these are oh it's on a tiny suffix, on a doubtful claim, as we brought in the previous panic, the example of partners that when breaking up a partnership they suspect that it has not been split up evenly, or in the case of an aris, a tenant farmer who gets a percentage of the crops and also claims that perhaps he is not getting a fair share. In this cases they take a shvu shwu di but mein shall tater. Let's say the one who was suspected of taking a false oath is one of these people who must take an oath regarding only a doubtful claim. In this case, not only he does not take the oath, of course, because he is suspect, but also the one who is opposite, unlike the previous cases, does does not take an oath either. Since he is not required to take the oath by Torah law, therefore he doesn't have to take it. And furthermore, since the plaintiff is not making a definite claim against him that he should be able to swear to substantiate his claim. His claim is anyway only a partial one. How could he swear that maybe you cheated me? He can't swear for a maybe only if he knows for sure it was like that. Therefore, both parties do not swear. Let's say the one who is suspect over here regarding this oath is required to take a rabbinic oath. The one, the plaintiff who is opposing him, does not take this rabbinic oath and thereafter collect. Why not? Didn't we say in Allah Hadalit that in general the sages decreed or enacted that if someone denies then the plaintiff is allowed to swear and collect? So over here it doesn't apply. Shashvua has his because this whole idea of a rabbinic oath, it itself was only an enactment of the Chachamim. And they didn't make another takana on top of this takana. The first takana, the first enactment, should be regarding a rabbinic oath. And the second enactment would see that this rabbinic oath, we ourselves enacted, if it should be in such a case, the person is nishvah v'netol. In this case, they don't make more takanas on top of what they made before. In such a case, amazingly enough, the defendant is exempt without even taking an oath. Since we suspect him of taking a false oath, we release him without any oath whatsoever. Halachachez. In the first parak of Ilchastayim, we learn the law of Hippoch Shvuah. then if one person, let's say the defendant, is required to take a Shvua's Heses, a rabbinic oath, since he is a keifer hakol, has denied the claim against him, he has the option of shifting the oath and reversing it onto the plaintiff and force the plaintiff, instead of him, the defendant, having to take this rabbinic oath and thereafter be exempt, he can force the plaintiff to take the oath in order to collect. Let's say the defendant had to take a rabbinic oath, and in this case the plaintiff would not be allowed to take an oath because he is suspect. In this case, the defendant is not allowed to shift and reverse this oath onto the the plaintiff. Because this plaintiff is not allowed to swear, since he is suspect on swearing, the, in this case, the defendant loses his option of he b'chavu. He's not allowed to reverse it. So therefore, either the defendant has to pay, or he himself, himself must take a rabbinic oath. They ain't shaming Los Elitlays afshar. And we do not listen to this this defendant that was trying to do something which is impossible. In other words, the defendant could claim, Why should I lose out? Just because my plaintiff is dishonest. I should lose the option that any other defendant should have to reverse the oath on the plaintiff. My plaintiff is dishonest and suspected of his shavuar, and therefore I lose my option. To make him take the oath. So there's such a thing as a person who's depending on something is impossible. This is like someone who is reversing an oath onto a child. Now we don't listen to such a claim. Why? Because when he reverses it to the child, it's going to be to someone that is not even in the category of somebody that can take an oath. On the other hand, just because he has no ability to reverse this oath doesn't mean that his part of it is not is not valid. It's not considered an absolute option, in other words. When he, he has the ability to do it, then he's allowed to do so. But we do not limit ourselves in applying this rabbinic oath. That is, the sages did not limit themselves that the only time he can take the oath is if he's capable of reversing it. Therefore, he must either take the rabbinic oath or pay halacha chayev shvu ben ben someone that is required to take an oath whether by Torah or rabbinic decree v'nishpah v'notel v'nishpah v'niftar and if he was the plaintiff that he took an oath and thereafter collected or if he was the defendant then he took an oath and thereafter was exempted from having to pay Whatever the case may be. And afterwards, witnesses come and testify to something which would make him suspect regarding his oaths. In such a case, Any oath he took was worthless and the one that opposed him in judgment has the, uh, the, the ability to take away from him this that he grabbed this that the plaintiff grabbed in such a case or the or in the event that it's the defendant was, was suspect that the one opposing him meaning the plaintiff can, t- can take an oath and thereafter collect the money That this is the way we judge to somebody that is suspect regarding taking an oath until he has been lashed by the Jewish court. And imhayulav If, however, there are witnesses that he was already lashed and did He goes back to his state of being valid, regardless of whether it is testimony that he is now allowed to act as a witness and also as far as taking an oath in financial matters. Interestingly enough, when we look at that abam in hilchos eidus, we say that the requirement is not. Both. That he has to get lashed and to do tshuva, but the Rabbim splits it in half. Either one of the two, either after he gets lashed or after he does tshuva, he is allowed to once more testify. Yir Aleph Misha Toan al-chaveir v'kafar Someone that made a claim against another and the defendant denied the claim, and thereby had to take an oath, whether it was an oath by Torah law, for example, there was one witness against him, or it was an oath by rabbinic law, when there was no witness, but he was a complete denier, or a kefir hakol. And later on, after he took this oath, along come witnesses, and testify that he swore falsely. In this case, the defendant, since there are now witnesses against him, he must pay. And he is now, thereafter, considered to be suspect regarding an oath. And I'm already explaining, anyone that took an oath, a false oath, denying that he had money of another person. And later on, he does tshuva regarding this false oath that he took. Chayyab el hesif Not only is required to pay back the, 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 the money, but since he took a false oath, he must add on an extra 25% of the original, which is one-fifth of the total. The regular amount, which he owes, is called the karen. And this additional... Fourth of the original or fifth of the total is called the Chemesh. He is required to take both since he has taken a false oath regarding a financial claim. Now the final halach of the parak halacha yid base. Let's say that there should be a claim against a defendant that he has a, that he owes money and it was done with witnesses and with a Kenyan with an official sign of acquisition. But the defendant answers, "Kain Hayo that's true, I did borrow money, but I also paid you back. Or he claims that I didn't I I don't owe you anything. Vanishpah and then he swears, as is in every case of Kaifer Hakol, since he completely denies the claim against him, either by saying that he paid or by saying that he never that he doesn't owe anything, he therefore takes an oath and would be exempt. This is only, however, if the plaintiff has not produced the witnesses, either to the actual loan or to the Kenyan, the act of acquisition that took place. That in the case of prati, to, to have a defendant claim that he paid off a loan, this he would be allowed to claim in a, in a case where the loan was oral. But in the case where it's written, or where there, was, there were witnesses as to the Kenyan, in such a case, he is not believed to say praiti. Therefore, if the Eda kenyan, or he should, hashtar if he should be able to produce witnesses as to the kenyan, the act of acquisition, or he is able to produce a document and validate the document, this person is required to pay since he is not believed to say paraiti in such a case. Since there is a document against him or there are witnesses as to the Kenyan. However, even though he has to pay, he is not considered to be, uh, the Choshud's suspect regarding an oath. Why? Because they, the witness, these witnesses don't say that he didn't pay. And on the other hand, the defendant didn't say nothing ever happened. All the defendant said was that I paid. Or he says that I I don't owe you anything. What are the witnesses that oppose him saying? They don't say that you did pay. They say that that, uh, that there was a, a document or that there was a Kenyan. They don't know whether there was any payment or not. The law is that if there are such witnesses, he is not believed to say paraiti. But that doesn't mean that we don't believe him. It means we cannot listen to him to the expense of making him pay. But it doesn't mean that he is lying to the extent that he would be considered chashud ala The king called Kiyasih possessed, so too, any similar case.